0: In this episode, we begin a two-part exploration of the menagerie, starting with part one. Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Episode 11, The Menagerie, Start 8, 3012.4. The Menagerie, Start 8, 3012.4. This episode and its sequel were derived from the original pilot for the Star Trek series, The Cage. The Enterprise diverts to Starbase 11 after Spock reports receiving a subspace message from the former captain of the Enterprise, Christopher Pike. However, the Commodore on the starbase tells them Pike has been injured from exposure to delta rays and could not have sent the message. This is confirmed when uh, Kirk and Spock are shown that Pike is confined to a wheelchair, which is operated by brainwaves. The only communication of which Pike is capable is signaling yes and no. Pike refuses to speak to Bones or Kirk, but agrees to speak to Spock in private. Spock, who had served under Pike for 11 years, prepares to mutiny in order to take him to Talos 11, despite his protest, Meanwhile, an investigation of tapes reveals that Spock received no such transmission, but Kirk refuses to believe it is possible that Spock could have been responsible for the deception. Spock, Spock uh, commandeers Pike. They go aboard the Enterprise. The Enterprise warps out. Kirk and Mendez pursue Spock, and the Enterprise stops and beams Kirk and Mendez aboard just as their shuttlecraft is about to run out of fuel. Spock informs them that he has set up the ship's computer so that it cannot be disengaged without terminating life support until the Enterprise reaches Talos Four. Spock is then put on trial. Not only it is a is it a mutiny, which is a court-martial offense, but visiting Talos Four is an offense punishable by death. The hearing proceeds because Pike is still listed on active duty, so three command officers, uh, as required by regulations, are present. During the hearing, Spock introduces a recording of the experiences of the original crew of the Enterprise on Talos Four. The tape recounts how 13 years previously the Enterprise, commanded by Pike, received a distress signal from the survey vessel Columbia, which had been lost some 18 years earlier. Unbeknownst to the landing party, their actions were being monitored by the native Talosians. The doctor notices that the condition of the survivors is better than could have been reasonably expected and becomes suspicious. Before he can find out what's going on, Vena leads Pike into a Telosian trap. As soon as Pike is drugged and captured by the Delosians, the survivors, who were all illusionary, vanish. In a desperate attempt to rescue Pike, the landing party tries to blast through the rock to which Pike was spirited away, but their phasers have apparently no effect. At this juncture, Uhura pipes in to report that the Enterprise has been receiving transmissions directly from Talos IV, and Kirk has been relieved of duty by order of Starfleet Command and Commodore Mendez is ordered to take control of the Enterprise. That's the end of Part 1. So, fun fact. Robert Justman convinced Gene Roddenberry to write a two-part series utilizing the first pilot because they ran out of scripts in the middle of the season and would have had to have shut down production otherwise. So, sometimes cost-cutting can lead to great series. The Menagerie Parts 1 and 2 are certainly two of the most unique episodes in all of Star Trek, the original series. Of course, this is largely because we had a different crew, uh, and the pilot for this ep- or this series uh, th- was this episode, although it was expanded into a two-parter during the uh, first year of the original series. But we meet uh, Captain Pike, Number one, Major Barrett, who of course later later appears as Nurse Chapel, and uh, others. In fact, the only uh, crewman from both uh, this series, uh, or rather these two episodes, the Menagerie parts one and two, and the original series, is Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock. So that makes it interesting, but it also has some great science fiction. Uh, with mind control by the Telosians, starting with the uh, wreck, uh, what appears to be a wreck of ancient scientists, and how they might look if they lived 20 years um, basically with all men and one girl or one woman, and how she might relate to people if she'd only been around engineers. But the science fiction part and the mind control part really pales besides the human spirit. And that's the thing that really drives this episode or two episodes, as we'll see in the conclusion in part two, is the human drive not to be enslaved. I find that particularly uh, insightful now uh, because of the human slavery issues literally across the globe, from the Uyghurs in China to uh, children in the sex trade in uh, the Far East and everything in between. So our role in compliance is to fight human slavery in the corporate world. And this, of course, means looking at who's in your supply chain all the way down, finding out if any of the vendors you're using are in locations or industries that have tended to favor slave labor in the past. It should give you extra pause because the risk is greater. So uh, interesting uh, storyline here, some great science fiction. Obviously, if you uh, love Star Trek, uh, the chance to meet Captain Christopher Pike is uh, something you don't want to pass up. Uh, It shows Gene Roddenberry at the start of the formulation of the stories that become the canon of Star Trek, and that's something also really to be celebrated. So I hope you'll check out uh, The Menagerie, uh, this part one, and of course, Uh, Part two, which we'll take up uh, in our next episode. So what are some of the compliance takeaways from this episode? Well, in an early scene involving Christopher Pike, it's clear that Pike is on the verge of not a nervous breakdown, but perhaps exhaustion. And it means uh, that as a CCO and as a compliance professional, you have to take care to take care of yourself. Sometimes you have to step back and take a rest. Sometimes it might be uh, doing something other than compliance uh, for a little bit, perhaps a sabbatical, but perhaps spending your free time away from the office. I recognize that many of the jobs we all have are certainly 24-7, but uh, you have to take care of yourself. You have to eat right. You have to exercise. You have to do all those things your mother told you to do. So a leader must take care of themselves because, frankly, You're no good to your employees, to your compliance folks, to the corporation, to the people who depend on you if you're not at the top of your game. Second, and I found this uh, really interesting analogy, when something is too good or appears to be too good or too good to be true, it usually is too good to be true. And if you think about this in the compliance context, it relates to business transactions. If you have a business transaction that has an incredibly high profit margin, it means it is because there is some inherent risk in the deal. Now, that risk could be a violation of the FCPA, bribery and corruption risk, but there are a wide variety of other business risks. There's weather risk, there's competition risk, there's climate risk, there's geopolitical risk, um, risk from competitors. Uh, risk and the difficulty of the project, wide variety of risks. But if you have a very high profit margin, this is something that you need to consider from the compliance perspective because if that profit margin was so great, um, is it because someone paid a bribe to get a government official to sign off on a a truly invidious and insidious contract? So um, if something is too good to be true and the profit margin is so high, uh, it may uh, be in addition of other problems. Here, we only need to look at Goldman Sachs and their bond offerings in one MDB, uh, where even Goldman Sachs thought uh, internally thought the profit margin was too high. And if you have a profit margin that high, it uh, means that somebody is rushing to get something done. Now, there's certainly business reasons for doing that, but uh, once again, it may also be another reason. And then finally, uh, every compliance officer needs to memorize this phrase, and of course it comes from Ronald Reagan, but uh, it still holds true, trust but verify, and that was really true of the crash survivors of the Columbia on the planet Talos. Just as the doctor was running uh, some preliminary medical scans to see how they were, he noticed that they were all in perfect health, and... He couldn't understand how, having lived 18 years as basically survivors of a crash, they could have been in that sort of condition. So how did they uh, uh, maintain that condition? It certainly was an indicia that something was not right. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow where we take up part two of the menagerie.